everybody. Welcome to another episode of Laguna Beach, the podcast. As always, it's your host, Kelly. I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving. I know some people were worried, but I hope it all went well. And I mean, I had a great Thanksgiving. I watched Folklore, the Taylor Swift on Disney+. Plus. I ate some chicken, ate some mashed potatoes, just had a great day. And I hope you guys had that as well. So this week is going to be a little bit different. Typically, when I end a season of the podcast, or of the show, of the Hills, I should say, I like to take a week or two off in between. This week, so much stuff has went down in pop culture. I felt like I had to talk about at least everything in pop culture. So that's what we're going to do this week. I know it's a little different. Don't worry. It's not going to always be like this. I understand change can be scary, but... Don't worry, it's still going to be a recap podcast. Just this week is a little different because I don't know, I might wait a week or two before I release a different episode and then I will be having Danny Pellegrino on the podcast on the 15th. So I might wait until then to really kick off season six of the podcast, start it with Danny Pellegrino, and then go into episodes of The Hills. But I'm also going home for Christmas, so I know that there's going to be a week or two where there's not going to be any episodes. It's just kind of a weird time, I feel like, for right now. But anyway, Today is just pop culture, but it's good because right now all the headlines are about Kristen. If you didn't see it, I did post a couple clips on my Instagram page, but homegirl got wine girl wasted and did a question and answer with our guy Justin Anderson. The two of them always crack me up. I will always feel a little bit robbed that we didn't get a season four focusing more on their friendship. But again, I understand why Kristen didn't want to do it. You know, going through the divorce, she didn't want to deal with putting that all out there. I get it. During her little Q&A, she said Stephen Coletti was the best kisser. She also said it was a, you know, fuck, marry, kill question. And she said she would fuck Brody, marry Stephen, kill Justin Bobby, but would only kill Justin Bobby because she hadn't seen him since the hills. And Justin kind of like rolled his eyes to that. Another thing that she answered, it was a question, would you rather be stuck in a room with Kelly or Lauren? And instead of answering, she just took a sip of her wine. And I don't know, to me, I was kind of like, can't you two just like each other? But again, and you too, I mean, Kristen and Lauren. But again, Kristen was drunk. And one thing about Kristen, and I've said this a trillion times on this podcast, homegirl knows how to make a headline. Homegirl knows that if she brings up Steven's name, it's going to be on People Magazine. It's going to be on Us Weekly. It's going to be talked about on Twitter, Instagram. If she ignores a question about Elsie, that's going to be talked about. I mean, Kristen is just so good at this game, the fame game, let's call it, even though that's a Lauren Conrad book series. Kristen knows what she's doing. Kristen knows how to be talked about. And to quote Gossip Girl, you're nobody unless you're talked about. But I give her credit for that. I really do. I think she knows how to market. There's a reason why she's always kind of been around since she was 17. I mean, even Lauren, you know, Lauren will kind of fade back. But I will say I think Lauren has new PR people because now she's on a lot of YouTube videos and and stuff like that. But Kristen... Kristen knows what she's doing, man. And if she brings up Steven's name, you know people are going to go insane about it because people really want them together. I'm going to tell you guys a secret, a little secret between us. They're not getting back together. There is maybe not zero chance of Steven and Kristen getting back together. 
But I'm going to say it's like 90% chance that they will never get, actually probably like 98% sure they'll never get back together, you know? I think, again, I think Steven kind of wants to play the game a little bit more because since One Tree Hill ended, since the show that he put together with James Lafferty, he's starting to get some like, fans are starting to get upset about that because I guess they did a big Kickstarter campaign for everyone's doing great or everybody's doing fine, something like that. And people paid a lot of money to either be a, like do a cameo on the show or to get t-shirts and they never got t-shirts. So things are starting to build there. That's why if you notice, James Lafferty is not on Twitter anymore because people started to kind of go after him on Twitter. But that's a whole different story, right? That was just kind of like a side rant about Steven kind of like pulling back a little bit after everyone is doing great, didn't get picked up. And people are starting to complain that they didn't get, you know, shirts they paid for. I know one of the prizes was like, if you put $5,000 into this Kickstarter, then you get to be on the show. You get to be behind the scenes. So I don't know what happened with all that. Anyway, back to Kristen. (laughs) Kristen knows what she's doing. Kristen has always been a master marketer, in my opinion. She knows how to market herself. She doesn't mind going back and talking about Laguna Beach. She doesn't mind saying, hey, yeah, I was the bitch on the hills. They wanted me to be a bitch and I played that up. She, she's just, she's very open about all that. And that's something I think is really refreshing about her. She's never once been like, oh no, I don't want to talk about Laguna Beach anymore. I don't want to talk about the hills. I'm too good for both of them. No, she's not an idiot. She knows people love her from those shows. And now of course Uncommon James is huge. So Kristen is very smart. So again, she said Steven was the best kiss she's ever had. She would bang Steven, all this stuff. So today, today is Saturday. Jay Cutler is like, two can play that game, right? Like two people can play that game. He posted a video in Charleston, South Carolina, with the one, the only, Shannon Ford. As you all know, Shannon and Kristen had a really rough breakup on TV. (laughs) Kristen, of course, fired Shannon on TV. Shannon has said things about Kristen on her social media. I don't know if Kristen's ever said anything about Shannon. Like, I'm trying to think about it, but I don't think she has. I could be wrong. I could be totally wrong. But I know there's still friction between the two, basically. So Jay was probably like, oh, you want to pretend that your Steven's the best kiss you ever had when you had three kids with me? Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to befriend your nemesis. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't Kelly. Could you imagine if he ended up posting a picture with Kelly? The internet would fucking explode. Someone was like, well, you know, Jay and Shannon aren't dating. Yeah, I know Jay and Shannon aren't dating. I know Shannon's in South Carolina for Thanksgiving with her family. I know Shannon and John Gurney are still dating and they're a very cute couple. So I'm going to put that rumor to rest right now, okay? There is no chance on God's earth that Shannon and Jay are hooking up. That is a false, 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 false rumor. What I'm guessing happened, Mark Block, who runs the Block Agency, who basically everybody on Very Cavallari came from the Block Agency. Um, Taylor, Reagan, Shannon, Colby, they're all a part of the Block. I think Worth is also a part of the Block Agency. So I know Mark and Jay are best, best friends. They have been friends since college. And my guess is they were taking a vacation in Charleston together. Mark met up with Shannon. Jay just happened to be there. And Jay is a petty queen. Jay wanted to get back at Kristen for saying things about Steven. That's my guess. I could be totally off base. 
But I do know Mark and Shannon have remained really, really close. I keep saying like repeating words, I'm sorry. <laughs> I do know, like I said, I do know that Mark and Shannon are friends. They're very close friends. So I'm sure that they all just kind of met up and Jay saw an opportunity and he decided to take it. Because if you think about it, I'm sure he also, I mean, he deleted his Instagram after she, after Kristen posted the picture with Steven. So it's clearly, there's something there. I'm sure it's a little ego, something he doesn't like. So again, he probably saw an opportunity, took it, and guess what? Now they're both being talked about. Now Jay and Kristen, we're being, we're talking about them again. These two know how to work the media. I'm just saying that. And, um, and yeah, like I said, Jay is best friends with Mark. Mark's good friends with Shannon. And what, what's the quote? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. So maybe Jay is now like, okay, Shannon's not that bad. But yeah, that's, I just, I can't believe that all that unraveled because what was it? Two or three weeks. I was like, yeah, pop culture's like super lame lately. (laughs) And now I'm like, okay, Kristen Cavallari wants to make sure that celebrity gossip is not boring. And Jay Cutler is a petty queen himself, so he's gonna do it too. So I guess I shouldn't give all the credit to Kristen for bringing the drama this week for me to talk about. Justin Bobby's ex-girlfriend, Lindsay Pellas, P-E-L-A-S, decided to kind of go on a rant about Mr. Bobby. She posted a few pictures of the two of them with a clown emoji over his face. And the first one said, I'm single and now accepting applications. She posted another picture of the two of them with the clown emoji over his face saying, this could be you. Another picture with a clown emoji over his face, inquire within. And then the final one was rules. Rules, cannot be a con artist, must love dogs, no reality television or other odd, quote, jobs. So that happened. And my first thought was like, Oh no. Oh no, guys. We're going to get a Justin Bobby and Audrina storyline this season on the Hills reboot. And I'm not ready for that. I don't think any of us are ready for that. And when I said that, a few people were like, well, you know, Audrina's apparently dating Sean Stewart, Rod Stewart's son, who apparently has wanted to be on reality TV for a long time. I've like heard his name but looking at him, he he kind of looks like a, a less attractive version of Uncle Keith from One Tree Hill. That's the only way I can describe him, I think. But from what I'm told, he's a very thirsty man. But he hung out with Heidi and Spencer recently. And Heidi said that Sean is in fact single, not dating Audrina. So God knows how they're going to spin this, right? Like... <laughs> There's no doubt going to be Audrina being like, I don't know, I might still have feelings for him. And Justin being like, you know, you just got to let what's going to happen happen. And then you're going to roll with the ride and then we're going to live our life. But it's nobody's business because it's our business, not theirs. (laughs) That's how Justin Bobby talks in my mind, just speaking in riddles all day. But yeah, I guess we're going to see how that plays out. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if there is a kind of Audrina, Justin Bobby triangle. I really do see that happening. I will say Jason's been filming a lot more for the reboot, so hopefully MTV won't do him dirty this season. I think Jason probably has one of the best stories out of all of them. I I do think that Audrina being a single mother would be a really cool thing to explore, but I don't know how much she's allowed to say because I know she's still kind of in like a custody battle with her ex-husband. So it's probably not that easy to just talk about it. But I would say Audrina and Jason probably have the best storylines, in my opinion, that don't get explored at all. I can already see like Brody and Caitlyn being all flirty and 
than someone getting mad and being like, are they back together? I don't know. Again, the Hills cast is a little bit harder to get information from than the Laguna cast members. <laughs> but hopefully Jason and Ashley get a solid storyline because I actually really like them as a couple. I really love Jason's story and it's definitely an important one to explore. Oh, so real quick personal story. I got a tattoo today. A lot of you know that in March I had to put my cat down and it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And I kept saying I want to get a tattoo. I want to get something to commemorate her. I just want a G. That's it. Because I called her G more than anything. I'd call her baby G. And today I got it. And it was kind of funny because it actually, I got it on my forearm. And again, there was no shading, nothing. It was very basic, just a G. And... It felt like a cat scratch. So I was like, it's kind of funny that I'm getting this for my cat and it feels like a cat is scratching me. <laughs> All right, now let's get into some pop culture things. Let's talk pop culture. Again, this is just kind of like a filler episode. So it's not always going to be like this. I promise I'm going to still do recaps. I don't want you guys to worry about that. It's happening. I'm just trying to figure out timing wise how I'm going to make it work. But I do want a week off. But this week has been good for pop culture. And of course, the Kristen J saga continues and I had to talk about that. Okay, so you guys know I love Jersey Shore. I still watch it, even though like the family reunion is so scripted, so, so staged, like difficult to watch in my opinion. I watch it anyway. But Mike, the situation announced that he and his wife are expecting. I think that's amazing. His wife did suffer a miscarriage. So, I mean, it's just great. I think he's going to be a great dad. And one thing I think is kind of crazy, in my opinion, Mike is one of the only reality TV villains that I can think of to have a really good story arc. I mean, people hated Mike, like really, really hated Mike. I didn't like Mike. Now, when I say he's probably my favorite on, on Family Reunion, I wouldn't have expected that. If you had to ask me, you know, five years ago, who do I think my favorite on the reunion would be? I'd say Dina, because I always love Dina. Now, when I say only reality TV show villain, I'm literally just thinking about Spencer Pratt and Jax from Vanderpump Rules. That's it. I know Spencer seems to not be a villain anymore, but people still don't really care for him. They may find him funny, but I wouldn't say he's been able to change as many minds as Mike has. And then Jax from Vanderpump Rules, he's just a nightmare. He can be a married man, soon to be father, but that dude is just crazy in my opinion. He's out of his mind. So I do think it's kind of cool that Mike is one of, in my opinion, one of the only TV villains to really turn it all around. And, you know, he had to go to jail for what he did in the past, and now he's out of jail. He looks great. He's about to have a kid, so I'm so, so happy for him and Lauren. Now, let's get into some Jeopardy stuff, okay? Jeopardy. I don't know if anyone loves Jeopardy the way that I love Jeopardy, but Alex Trebek's last episode will be on December 25th, which is, of course, Christmas Day. I'm gonna have to, like, be with my family and be like, guys, I need a moment, okay? I need to go watch Jeopardy. But it is said that Ken Jennings will be helping host after that, along with a few other guest hosts, until they find, like, the right replacement. But I could kind of picture it being Ken Jennings. I don't know if I'm totally correct with that, but we'll see. And Dane Cook actually said he would love to host. And I want to say one thing to Dane Cook. Nobody asked. Nobody asked for that. Hell no. Get out of here, Dane Cook. So my girl Gigi Hadid. You guys know I like Gigi Hadid. I like to say her name. And I think she's gorgeous. I just, I really like her. I don't know why. Out of all those newer supermodels, her and Barbara Pal Palvin, I believe her last name is. Those two are my favorites. And Josephine Scri Scriver. <laughs> 
I should really just stop saying names. I can't pronounce anybody's name. But Gigi keeps sharing photos of her and Zayn Malik's daughter without showing the face or telling us her name. And I'm going to tell you what I think. Get ready, okay? Write this down because this is what's going to happen. I expect a Vogue cover or something introducing baby Hadid Malik with both parents on the cover when... I don't know. I'm guessing around Christmas. I'm thinking around Christmas, maybe New Year's. Will it be on Vogue? I don't know. But I don't think it's going to be People Magazine. I think it's going to be something bigger than People Magazine. They're too stylish for that. I'm pretty sure Anna Wintour loves Zayn and loves Gigi, so I think Vogue would be the way to do it. But I don't know if Vogue would, I mean, yeah, Vogue would do that. That would get so much attention. So yeah, I'm sticking with Vogue. I'm going to say not People Magazine. I'm going to say around Christmas and we will not know baby girl Hadid's name until that cover comes out or until Yolanda leaks it again, allegedly. She allegedly leaked that Gigi was pregnant to begin with, so. I actually saw some good news for celebrities. I know that I like to talk a lot of shit, but I saw that Michael Jordan donated $2 million to food banks in North Carolina. And then I also saw Tracy Morgan was spotted handing out turkeys in New York City. I also saw that Justin Timberlake donated a bunch of money to help a disabled kid get a a van. So that's some good news, good celebrity news. Just throwing that out there. Of course, Dolly Parton donated a million dollars to COVID research. And a lot of people are giving her credit for that because that's a great donation, great cause. And someone was like, she wasn't actually in the labs testing. And someone photoshopped a picture. They were like, prove it. (laughs) Like, yes, she was. I don't know. I love Dolly Parton. I think she's awesome. So I've been re-watching Gossip Girl. You guys know that I love Gossip Girl. It's probably one of my all-time favorite shows. I only watch a certain few episodes on season three because I don't get annoyed as much during them re-watching it. But it's kind of weird. So I guess I have watched more than just season three because I had nothing else to do for Thanksgiving, basically, other than watch Gossip Girl. So it's really interesting re-watching it. I don't dislike Lily the way I thought I disliked Lily. I don't dislike Vanessa or Jenny Humphrey. I know those two get a lot of hate, but I've never disliked Vanessa. Jenny annoyed me. But re-watching, I'm like, Jenny just wanted to fit in. That's all Jenny wanted. <laughs> no one would let her fit in. Serena's the worst. Serena's very annoying, in my opinion. Um, Nate, I would marry Nate in a heartbeat. If anybody knows Chase Crawford, just let him know I'm single, I'm interested. I would marry him in a heartbeat, like I said. Rufus annoys me to death. Chuck is not as annoying as I thought, but then I got to when he sold Blair to his uncle for a hotel, and that made me mad. So, you know, not not the best. Dan annoys me still. <laughs> but yeah, it's just kind of funny re-watching it all these years later. I have so many different feelings. I still love Dorota and Blair. They're still my girls. Georgina is always funny to me. I know she's like the worst, but she she cracks me up. Also, I started watching a show. It's on Hulu. It's called A Teacher. And oh my God, is it good. It starts off a little slow. The first two episodes are a little slow. But the soundtrack is incredible. I'm guessing it takes place in 2011, 2012, because they do show like Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, but it's like the older versions of it. I don't think they've said a year yet. I could have just missed it. But yes, it's about a teacher and a student having an affair. And it's kind of crazy because it actually doesn't show it in a good light. It's very obvious that this is bad. 
this is not something that should be romanticized. These two as a couple is very unhealthy. And it starts off right away with that. Like right away, you don't really care for Kate Mara's character. But yeah, it's a really good, good show. And I was thinking about it and I feel like almost every show I watched growing up, there's always some like quote unquote forbidden love between a teacher and a student. Apparently there was one on Dawson's Creek. I have not sunk my teeth into Dawson's Creek yet, but soon I'm going to start watching it because it's on Netflix. But I was thinking on One Tree Hill, Brooke ends up dating a math teacher or an English teacher, whoever. I remember his name was Nick. That's all I remember. And he was hot. And then on Friday Night Lights, although Julie was older, she was dating a professor who was married. Gossip Girl, Serena was dating a teacher, I believe. Or maybe he was just an older guy. Anyway, she was dating someone who was a teacher, I think. (laughs) And then I think Dan also had a crush on an English teacher. So many things with Gossip Girl. I'm like, there were so many different storylines. And like Serena had so many different love interests, it was hard to keep up with, okay? I'm not perfect. But I was trying to think, I don't think on the OC there were any teacher-student relationships, but there was Julie and Luke, which was, of course, not right. And then, of course, Pretty Little Liars had Arya and Ezra, and I rooted for them so hard. But in the book, Arya is supposed to be, like, 14 when she meets him. It's almost, like, crazy because... They make it seem like Ari is the problem because she lied about her age to him, which is not good. Like, that that's obviously an issue. But then he found out her age, at, and she was like 15, 16, and he was like, yeah, we're still going to date. It's cool. <laughs> like, that's really fucked up. And then they ended up getting married. But I'll tell you, when I was watching the show, I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let, I'm here for it. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's root for this gross couple. That's <laughs> not right. But I'm kind of curious and talk about this on the Facebook page or even DM me if you want to talk about it. But I'm like, why do you think that is? Why is a society? Are we kind of weirdly into the idea that students and teachers can have weird love affairs and it be romanticized and forbidden and hot and sexy rather than being like, no, that's clearly an abuse of power for the teacher. Like, obviously, it's an abuse of power. And in the sh- I will don't, I'm not going to give away a tip. Uh, I almost said atypical. A teacher. I'm not going to give away a teacher. But there's a part where she starts kind of talking about it. And I'm like, do you hear yourself? I mean, I'm 29. I have been out of high school for 11 years now. And I don't know. I wouldn't look at, like, a high schooler and be like, yeah, let's fuck. <laughs> I wouldn't. I guess it's always different with people. But again, if you're a teacher... You're supposed to be helping mold these people. And again, a few teachers actually DM me and they were like, I don't know if I should watch this because I can't imagine wanting to date a student. And I'm like, well, good. That means you're doing a great job as a teacher. But also they don't paint this in a good light. And it is, there are moments where you're kind of like, what the fuck is happening? So definitely check it out. It's a good show. A teacher on Hulu. I've been working from home since Wednesday. And when I work from home, I actually watch TV. I don't know what it is. Like, when I'm working all day and come home, I don't really want to start, like, a new series. I just want to watch the shows that I'm watching. But yeah, a teacher. How many times can I say that? It's a good one. I highly recommend it. I also continued my journey with The Crown, and it's getting better. I think I'm on episode six or seven now, and it's a lot better than it was in the beginning of the season. So that's a a big plus. 
And I do have to fact check myself. Taylor Townsend on the OC dated a teacher. So every show I have ever loved, there is some kind of teacher-student relationship, and it is so bizarre. I know that kind of like jumped in, but I was re-listening and editing, and I wanted to add, no, Taylor Townsend did date a teacher. But also, real quick, a few people DM'd me asking about The Crown and if they needed to watch all four seasons before, or all three seasons before they jumped into season four, but I don't think you need to. I mean, I was Googling things that they talked about, but I was only interested in the Princess Die story, and yeah. A few people also told me to remember that it's very one-sided, but it just seems like Charles isn't that great of a dude. Um, and, and I guess that's what I think about it. And it does actually show Diana having affairs. So it's not completely one-sided. It does show that she did have her issues as well. Now, originally when I wanted to do the purely pop culture episode this week, it was because of all the Grammy drama. But somehow, Kristen and Jay just came through for me in last minute before I decided to record the podcast. So let's talk about the Grammys. The nominations for the Grammys were released, and there were definitely some surprises. I would say that the biggest surprise was that The Weeknd was completely snubbed for his album. Halsey was also snubbed, but she did tweet that she must have pissed someone off years ago, and she's never going to get nominated for a Grammy. Back to The Weeknd, though. He called out the Recording Academy saying, The Grammys remain corrupt. You owe me, my fans, and the industry transparency. Now, I'm actually surprised because, to me, The Weeknd, or Abel, he seems like a very low-key dude. I mean, he just sings songs about doing coke dates supermodels, and puts on great performances. Like, who could want more than that? So seeing this statement, I was kind of shocked. And whether you like his music or not, I feel like it's kind of impossible to deny that Blinding Lights was one of the biggest songs of the year. Now, according to TMZ, The Weeknd was allegedly given the ultimatum of performing at the Super Bowl or the Grammys, and he chose the Super Bowl because, duh... Now TMZ has gone back on that statement saying it's not true, so I guess we're gonna see what happens there. Also, Drake has come out saying the Grammys are a complete waste of time and they're very out of touch. Now going back to the award show, and don't worry, I will get into the Justin Bieber mess, I promise. Record of the year, we have Black Parade by Beyonce, Colors by Black Pumas, Rockstar by DaBaby, Say So by Doja Cat, And I will say, this song is produced by Dr. Luke, so he's slowly making his way back into the music world, unfortunately. Other songs are Everything I Wanted by Billie Eilish, Don't Start Now, Dua Lipa, who I always want to call her Dua Peep, which is what Wendy Williams called her once, but Dua Lipa, Circles by Post Malone, and finally Savage by Meg Thee Stallion. Who do I want to win? I'm going with Beyonce. The Grammys love Beyonce, Black Parade's a great song, but I kind of want Megan Thee Stallion to pull. I think I've said before, she's always on top of the charts, and she definitely deserves the recognition, and it's kind of funny. I was listening to her music while I was going through Excel sheets because when I go through Excel sheets, I either listen to Lil Wayne or Backstreet Boys. Like, there's no in between. So I went with Meg Thee Stallion this time. I really felt like she's my favorite female rapper right now. I like her better than Cardi B, better than Nicki Minaj. I will say I'm not, like, that familiar with female rappers. I'm not going to pretend that I know everything. But out of those three, I really like her voice and I really just like her. Now, I won't go through every other category because there are a lot of categories. But Taylor Swift came through with six nominations. Noah Cyrus had a nomination for Best New Artist. Harry Styles was nominated and he's actually the first One Direction member to be nominated for a Grammy. Haim, Grace Potter, Chloe and Halle, Big Sean, 
just to name a few. And there are a ton of categories and artists, but yeah, those are just a few. And also the best country album is all women. It's, I, I know Miranda Lambert, Ashley McBride, I believe Maren Morris, and I forget the, I, Little Big Town's nominated, but their lead singers are female, so that's awesome. I mean, it's kind of crazy that, I feel like CMAs, they kind of always cater to male artists, and it's kind of crazy to see the Grammys doing the exact opposite. But can we talk about it? Can we talk about the Justin Bieber mess? Now, I have been rooting for Justin Bieber's comeback for some, but for some reason right now, I am very nervous about him. He's starting to spiral. I see it happening. This is not going to be good. After the Google thing, after this post, I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, uh-oh, Bieber's spiraling, and we need to reel him back in. Scooter Braun, I know you and I don't see eye to eye, but I want to talk to you. Now, I'm going to read his Instagram post directed at the Grammys for his nomination for being the pop record of the year rather than having an R&B. So I'm going to read the post. If you missed it, get ready. I'm going to read the post as I believe Justin Bieber intended it too. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just going to read it. So I'm going to do it now. So he said to the Grammys, I am flattered to be acknowledged and appreciated for my artistry. I am very meticulous and intentional about my music. With that being said, I set out to make an R&B album. Changes was and is an R&B album. It is not being acknowledged as an R&B album, which is very strange to me. I grew up admiring R&B music and wished to make a project that would embody that sound. For this not to be put in that category feels weird considering from the chords to the melodies to the vocal style all the way down to the hip-hop drums that were chosen, it is undeniably, unmistakably, an R&B album. To be clear, I absolutely love pop music, it just wasn't what I set out to make this time around. My gratitude for feeling respected for my work remains and I am honored to be nominated either way. The caption said, Please don't mistake this as me being ungrateful. These are just my thoughts. Take them or leave them. Thank you to the people who fought for me to even have any noms. Okay, so that's a lot, but it's no surprise to me because I know Bieber has always wanted to be an R&B artist. He's worked with a lot of R&B artists, but he's just not. He's a pop singer with an R&B influence. It reminds me of Justin Timberlake and his team wants him to be in pop music because it sells better. He, he fits that mold much better than he does R&B, even though he did work with Usher growing up. You know, Usher kind of mentored him, but Justin is always going to be a pop act, in my opinion. Now, my favorite part of this entire rant is v- it's very Katherine Heigl of him. And if you know what I mean, you know. Just if you don't know what I mean, look at what Katherine Heigl said about being nominated for an Emmy or Golden Globe or something. But his team put him up for that category. Whoever did his For Your Consideration campaign wrote him in as a pop act. So he should be putting all that energy towards his team, not towards the award show itself. It's tough because I'm trying to be like he has no sense of real life, which of course Ryan Bailey said last week. He doesn't know how to act like a real life adult. But then I'm also like, you ungrateful little shit. A lot of artists would love to have a Grammy nomination, but you're out here complaining. I don't know, guys, I'm hoping I'm wrong, but I I also have a feeling that the spiral's happening. It's coming very shortly after the whole Google thing, and now this rant, and now he's posted a few other things on his Instagram. I'm nervous. I'm nervous for him. But end of the day, Bieber, you should be thankful that the song Yummy got a nomination at all. That song is horrible. This past week, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, they unfortunately 
talked about something that might be a little triggering. I just want to give like a little heads up. This might be triggering. But Meghan Markle revealed that she had a miscarriage in July and there's nothing really more to say other than my thoughts are with her and any other woman who has had to go through that. I almost feel like as a society, we do not talk about miscarriages enough. They're almost like a taboo thing to talk about. But I also know they're really common. So I do think that when someone with a platform speaking about their experience maybe will empower others to talk about their experience as well. Like I said, it's pretty common and anyone who's ever gone through that, I'm, I'm sorry and I'm thinking of you guys. I also watched the movie Happiest Season, which is on Hulu. I'm not a big Hulu gal, I must say, but I've been watching quite a bit of it recently and a lot of people hated it. A lot of Twitter people do not like it because there's more to a queer person's story than coming out, basically. But I liked the movie. I thought it was funny. I thought it was cute. I did not like try and dig deep into the layers until I saw on Twitter and I'm like, okay, maybe this is problematic. But if you just want like a cute, funny Christmas movie, I suggest it. Dan Levy absolutely kills it in his character. He's like David, but funnier in my opinion. Kristen Stewart surprisingly did great and I was having some drinks while watching it and I was like, I'm sorry I got so mad that she was cast as Princess Di in a movie. Maybe she'll do okay. <laughs> so it changed my mind on that. Aubrey Plaza's in it. Aubrey Plaza is incredible. And Victor Garber is also in it. And I've had a weird crush on Victor Garber since I was young. Since he was in Titanic and he was like, I'm sorry I didn't build you a better ship, Rose. That, I don't know what it is about him. Something about him I'm very attracted to and I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> but overall, a cute movie. I did give it an 8.7 out of 10 after I watched it. Now that I've sat on it a little bit, I would say probably a 7.5 out of 10. That's my rating for Happiest Season on Hulu. I also promised to watch the Shawn Mendes documentary on Netflix and I did that. And it was probably one of the most pointless documentaries I've ever watched. I am not a huge Shawn Mendes fan. I am sure if you are a Shawn Mendes fan, you loved it. And I think that's awesome. I I just know that even, I'm not a huge like Jonas Brothers fan, but I really enjoyed their documentary. I just didn't really get the point of this one. I He did talk about his voice and how he strains his voice a lot and how he always just wants to put on the best show ever and how... He feels a lot of pressure to look a certain way, act a certain way, all this stuff. I joke that it was a Sean and Camilla propaganda documentary, but it's not. They're, they're in it a bit. It's actually, they had this moment, okay? Sean's playing the piano and he's like, I've had these chords in my head for years and I want to play it for you. And she's standing in the doorway. And when he's done with it, she just goes, that sounds like your heart. I'm like, did fucking Mark Schwann write this script? That's some naily bullshit if I've ever heard it. But I just, I can't get into them as a couple. I really can't. I did like that Shawn Mendes said he smoked weed. That's a cool moment. That made him more personable in my opinion. But I guess just watching it, I was kind of like, oh, that's it. And it probably doesn't help that I watched Folklore before it because Folklore was so good. But like I said, I'm not even a huge Jonas Brothers fan and I really liked their documentary. Back in the day, I liked the Justin Bieber documentary things that he'd put out. I, again, not a huge Bieber fan, but I appreciated watching it. But yeah, the Shawn Mendes one just kind of fell flat. And I don't know, I don't know what he's doing, but he's wearing like a sweatshirt with Camilla on it. And he's like, this is my girlfriend. Do you like my sweatshirt, mom? It's Camilla's. It's Camilla's. And I'm like, mm, I don't know. 
I don't know, Sean Mendes. I don't know what it is. I You just don't do it for me. I do think he's very talented, but it's almost like, okay, another dude with a guitar. <laughs> I would give the Sean Mendes documentary a 5.2 out of 10. So before we get into the folklore Disney Plus concert that Taylor put out for us so we could have a nice Thanksgiving, I want to talk about a Taylor Swift story. And this isn't a story that I talk about much because for a while I was afraid Taylor would be mad at me. I think Taylor's team listens to everything she has mentioned in. I think they read everything she's mentioned in. So I was always kind of afraid to tell this story until now because I think it's been long enough. So during her 1989 tour, when it came to Foxborough, I decided I wanted to try and meet Taylor Swift. And something that I'm good at is sneaking into places. I already had concert tickets, so I was like, okay, I already have the tickets. I just need to meet her. How am I going to do this? And this was before I knew about Tumblr and like Taylor lurking on Tumblr. So I would say that I was a big fan, but not that big of a fan because I didn't realize this. But anyway, what I did was I contacted Gillette Stadium and I asked them for a press pass a day be or probably four or five days before the concert. And the woman, Diana, was like, no, I can't get you a press pass that quick. Like, what the fuck? Basically, at the time, I ran a blog. It was called Celebrities Are Tragic. And it was it was a mess. I really thought that I had something going, but I didn't. But anyway, I was basically like, I'm a part of this website. I really want to meet Taylor, interview Taylor. I want press passes, all this stuff. So she basically said she'd get back to me. Needless to say, she never got back to me. So something I did was I made fake press passes. Do you remember the show The Buried Life? Well, they taught me that. They taught me that you can make your own press passes and sometimes it works. So I got my friend Sarah to join me and she was very afraid we were going to get kicked out and she was pissed because I was making her do this and she was kind of like, well, if we get kicked out, I'm going to be mad at you. And I'm like, okay, we won't get kicked out. Don't worry. Yeah, I had no idea. I really thought we were going to get kicked out. So basically... We get to Gillette really early and I'm like, just follow my lead, follow my lead with this. And we walked up to some gate and I was like, hey, I'm looking for press passes. This is the press pass I have right now. And they were like, oh, that's not that's not the correct press pass. You have to go all the way around to the security. And I was like, "Okay, cool. So Sarah and I start walking and Sarah again is like, are we going to get kicked out of the tour? Like, I really don't want to lose this concert. I'm really excited. I'm like, Sarah, listen, you just don't speak. I'll do it. And she's like, "Okay, cool. Poor Sarah. But basically, I we walked all the way through like the Patriots training facility and someone actually stopped us and we were like, oh, we're trying to find where to get press passes. And they're like, oh, just keep going that way. And I'm like, this is all too easy. This is extremely easy. So we walked all the way around. We got to the back of the stadium, walked up a ramp, ended up in the backstage area. And there was somebody handing out bracelets. They were like, you're early. But then I got nervous. Okay, so I was so far backstage, I could see the back of the stage. I could actually see where Taylor walked out and went on stage. And I was like, okay, okay. So I say to them, I was like, well, I'm actually looking for press passes. And they were like, oh, these aren't press passes. I was like, okay. So I went to this little box office, kind of told them everything. I was like, I spoke to Diane. And the cop kind of looked at my friend and I and I was like, but if our name's not on it, like, don't worry, we'll leave. And they were like, yeah, your name's not on it. But that is how I almost met Taylor Swift one time at her show. And there's a part of me that wonders if those like wristbands were for people who were picked out of Tumblr. But I was too afraid to even push my luck. I was like, I've got this far. 
I really don't want us to get in trouble, so let's just leave. So basically, my friend Sarah and I, we're walking out, we're leaving, we're walking through like tour buses and the 1989 trucks that were driving her sets, her stages around, and all of a sudden we see her mom walking the dog, the Great Dane, who you see in the um, Miss Americana documentary on Netflix, you see her and like we pet the dog and we're just kind of like, hi, it's nice to see you. And we just sprint. We didn't sprint. We sped walk. We were like, we are going to get in trouble, but we didn't get in trouble. And that's how I almost snuck backstage at Taylor Swift. And again, I feel more comfortable talking about this story because it's a long time ago. And I met Taylor at the mural, which was awesome. But yeah, I just thought that was a fun story. And you guys are probably like, wow, what a pointless story. And I'm like, that's okay. So when Folklore first came out, I know I did an album review, but I really feel like my songs have changed. I should have re-listened to my album review before I say that. But I would say my number one song on Folklore is Mad Woman. I'm pretty sure it's always, it's stayed Mad Woman, like since it came out. But I also think it goes like Mad Woman, The One, Exile, Peace, and then This Is Me Trying. And This Is Me Trying is actually a new favorite. It just started becoming my favorite maybe like a week or so ago. One thing about Taylor Swift is my favorite songs by her, it depends on how I'm feeling. It always depends on my mood. I will say there are certain songs that are always just bops. Haunted is an always bop. That's my number one overall Taylor song. New Romantics is another top tier Taylor song. No matter how I'm feeling, I want to hear it. So yeah, that's kind of how I feel when it comes to how I process Taylor's music. Like if I'm in a really, really good mood, I want to listen to Sparks Fly. I want to listen to Red. If I'm in a really bad mood and Sparks Fly comes on, I'm like, ugh, not this one. (laughs) But let me tell you something. I waited until Thanksgiving Day to watch Folklore and it was incredible. It was so good. I loved hearing Taylor explain things. One thing a lot of you know that I'm going to talk about is she said that Joe is William Bowery and he helped write two songs. And a lot of you know that I've also always thought they're a PR couple. So maybe it's time for me to take that statement back. One thing I will say about this big reveal is it kind of bums me out. And when I say that, I mean, Taylor's music has always been kind of linked to the people she's dated or dating currently, whatever the case may be. But to me, I can already picture like Taylor Swift haters being like, see, she couldn't even write these two songs without Joe. She couldn't even do this without a guy. And again, no Swifties will say that. Swifties love Joe and Taylor. You know how I feel. But I do think it just gives people more leverage to be like, wow, she couldn't even like write a whole album without her man helping her or something stupid like that. Now, she said that Joe wrote the whole first verse of Exile while playing the piano. And there are people who are like, oh my God, maybe it's when he saw her dancing with Tom Hiddleston at the Met Ball, which is, or Met Gala, I'm sorry, which is where the two of them met for the first time. And that whole storyline just fucks with my head, okay? They've tried to sell, I know I'm getting into like deeper Taylor stuff. You guys are like, I'm just here for a little review. But it has been said that Taylor and Joe first met at the Met Gala when she was dating Calvin Calvin Harris. Why did I say Calvin? Who am I? When she was dating Calvin Harris. Well, she also met Tom Hiddleston that night. Now, the story goes that she left Calvin to be with Tom, but while she was dating Tom, she was falling in love with Joe Alwyn. And that whole storyline has never made sense in my head. I think that is the messiest marketing storyline Taylor's ever put together. There, I said it. Okay, now we can move on. (laughs) 
Starting the whole folklore experience with the song The One is incredible. Sometimes that song makes me want to cry. But in my opinion, I feel like all these different songs could be a whole movie. You could write an entire movie about the song The One. You could write an entire movie about exile. But The One is a beautiful song. I really just loved how she said, she didn't, I don't know, did she even really talk about it? Again, I was just so excited to watch this. I saved this for Thanksgiving Day. (laughs) I do feel like some songs that she kind of like skimmed over were were seven. She was like, you know, I was thinking about when did I stop being able to have temper tantrums? That's why I wrote seven. I'm like, what? That doesn't make sense. That's like a song where you say you love someone's braids to the moon and back and you're hiding in a closet. We need more than that. And I'll also say one thing. Music speaks to everybody differently. And that's really, really important to remember. Because even though like Taylor explained a few things, it can still speak to you in a different way. Like Betty, to me, Betty is still like a queer anthem. I know that she said she wrote it from the perspective of a teenage boy who messed up. That is what she wrote it from. But when I listen to it, I still hear it as like a queer anthem. So, I mean, that's fine. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying that even if the way she explained a song wasn't the way you felt it, like you're not listening incorrectly or anything like that. A song that I ended up liking a whole lot more after this was Epiphany. I do not care for that song. That's kind of like a skip song for me. And she ended up talking about her grandfather who was in the war, but then she also talked about something else, which is something I've been thinking about a lot. Nurses and doctors going through this pandemic, going through COVID, having to see so many deaths a day, and how this isn't really something they signed up for. And this is something, you know, a lot of people aren't ever going to be able to get over or able to move on from. And when she said that, I was like, yeah, that's a really good point. And I know this is kind of stupid, but like Grey's Anatomy has kind of been saying that same thing. And it really just makes me appreciate healthcare workers so much more because they didn't sign up for, you know, 100 people dying a week on them. They want to help people as much as they can. So re-listening to Epiphany, I won't skip it anymore. I'll, I'll stand in solidarity for that one. I also really, really loved her explanation of the song, This Is Me Trying. Because to me, that song reminds me of like a Ryan and Marissa kind of storyline. Ryan and Marissa from the OC. Like I could picture Marissa pulling off to the side and just crying and Ryan trying to find her and her being like, this is me trying. I'm trying to be good. But then Taylor explained it in a completely different way and it actually made me cry. She said, you know, I've been thinking a lot about people with addiction issues with mental health issues. And it makes me sad to think that they might go through really hard days and they're not getting pats on the back when they're saying, this is me trying. I am doing my best today. And you don't know how hard I've been trying. And I feel like that's really something a lot of us have dealt with from, you know, from what I've talked to people about, whether it's a moment or longer than a moment, There are times where you're like, I'm doing my fucking best. I'm trying. Can't you see that? And nobody's giving you a pat on the back because at this point, everybody's doing their best to just survive 2020. But if you are dealing with something that's really, really hard, just remember that you're doing great and you're trying as hard as you can and give yourself some grace. But yeah, her explanation of This Is Me Trying was very much different from how I perceived that song. I also love the song Mirrorball. I know that when I first listened to the album, I didn't like it, but I think it's because I resonated with it so much because I am someone 
who wants everybody to like me. I want people to enjoy me. I want people to say that they like me. It's a really bad habit, I guess. Like, if somebody doesn't like me, it will eat me from the inside out. I do not like that. I try really hard to be myself and not change for other people, but to be somebody who's well-liked. And even admitting that, I feel like it sounds gross, but it's it's funny. This week, someone was like, oh, this Reddit page posted about you. And I'm like, oh, cool. Let me Let me look. And there were, it was mostly positive, but there were those two or three comments that were negative. And one that really stuck with me is someone was like, this girl now thinks she's the shit. I used to really like her. But since the Laguna reunion and how she handled that, she has too much of an ego. She thinks she's the shit. And when I read that, I was like, what? And believe me, I know I went overboard with the reunion stuff. I know it. I know I did too much. But I'm also just like an extremely emotional person. But in that moment, I was like, no, I'm one of the most insecure people you will ever meet. And that's the truth. In Mirabal, Taylor's song Mirabal, that is what I am. You know, I try and fit into these different roles people want me to be, even though I'm trying really hard to be myself. It's really, it's a really weird situation I find myself in a lot where it's like, I'm trying to be myself. I don't know if people like it, though. And again, that was like a really long story. That was a Dear Diary moment. You know, I like to call them those. But the song Mirabal just really, really sticks with me. And My Tears Ricochet, the way she explained it, she said, you know, it's almost like a divorce. It's about karma. It's about being best friends with someone and losing that. And I've always thought that song was about Scott Bruschetta. Now I'm kind of like, is it also about Carly Kloss? Like, is there a little bit of Carly Kloss in that. In general, I think this album is lyrically one of Taylor's best albums. I've said it before, my albums are ever-changing, but number one will always be Reputation. And one of the reasons I really think I love that album the most, not only was it so different than anything she's ever put out, but it was also there will be no explanation, there will only be Reputation. She did not do one interview about the album. She didn't do anything. It was all up to your own interpretation. And that's something I love about music is when it lets you kind of figure out what you want it to be. But I'd say Reputation, Speak Now, Folklore, Red. And I do think Red's coming. I think Red's coming by end of year. And I do love all the songs on Red except for Stay, Stay, Stay. I've said that before. But I re-listened to Speak Now and I was like, yeah, this is the album that I heard. And I was like, wow, I fucking love Taylor Swift. Like, that was the album that I knew that I was going to be a fanatic for life. But overall, I mean, it was great. It's something that I think I needed. I needed something on Thanksgiving. So being able to, you know, watch a Taylor Swift documentary, I thought it was great. And she said Illicit Affairs was inspired by movies and TV shows that she was watching. I'm kind of curious because it keeps saying like, don't call me kid, don't call me baby. I'm kind of curious if that is something with Sex and the City, if there's some kind of Carrie Bradshaw-ish with that line. I know she's watched One Tree Hill. She talked about being a One Tree Hill fan. I mean, maybe she's talking about Brooke Lucas and Peyton. Who, who knows? I know that this is kind of all over the place, but you guys know when I talk about Taylor, it could go to any direction. But we start off by finding out due to COVID restrictions, Taylor was unable to record in a studio for the first time in her career. So she ended up building a studio in her bedroom. So the way Taylor explained the teenage love story, the songs are Cardigan, August, and Betty. And those three are supposed to make up some kind of teenage love story. 
She said, in my head, she ends up with him, but he really put her through it. Going on, she ends up talking about August, and she calls it Augustina, Augusta. She seems like she's the bad girl, but she's really not a bad girl. She's a sensitive person who fell for him, and she was trying to seem cool and seem like she didn't care because that's what girls have to do. The idea that there's some bad villain girl in my situation who makes your man is actually a total myth. Who takes your man, not makes your man, I'm sorry. Who takes your man is actually a total myth because that's not usually the case at all. Everyone has feelings. Everybody wants to be loved. I also really like the way she explained the last great American dynasty. She said that it's almost like a country song where, you know, they're going through it. And then at the end, the singer's like, and that man was my dad. She said, you know, it's somebody's entire life and it moves in between generations. And I just, I think Rebecca seems like a good fucking time. And if I could party with Rebecca Harkness any day, I would. Also back to My Tears Ricochet, she wrote that song completely alone. And you know, if it's a number five song, then it's gotta be a good one. And I think Taylor did a great job picking the correct number five uh, for folklore. Overall though, it's a really, really good documentary concert on Disney Plus and a lot of people said Disney Plus no longer has like a free trial, but let me tell you something, download it for a month, pay however much. I don't even know how much I pay for streaming and cable and all that. But download it for a month so you can watch it. Maybe watch Hamilton. Maybe then watch Brink and Color of Friendship, Xenon, then get rid of it. That's all you need, right? But I know this episode was a little bit different, but I hope you guys have an awesome rest of your week. Like I said, it might be a week or two before a new episode comes out because I did want to take a little time. I also have, I'm not going to start the next season of the podcast with season four of The Hills. It's going to be something else that you guys have been asking for and it's coming, I promise. But like I said, I'm going to have Danny Pellegrino on, so I might start... I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure it all out. It's so difficult. <laughs> Maybe I'll start the new season with the Danny Pellegrino episode and then move on. And like I said, I'm not starting with season. Ooh, I almost just gave it away with season four of the Hills. I'm going to do something you guys have asked for, and then we're going to get into season four of the Hills. So just sit tight with that. And again, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I know it's a little different, but I had fun doing it. Um, if you want to get a tattoo, I'm the biggest baby on the planet. I got it on my forearm and it didn't hurt. It like a little, it was a little uncomfortable, but I wouldn't say it hurt. Like I said, cat scratch mixed with like bacon grease splattering up on your arm. That's exactly how it felt. And I hope you guys enjoyed this <laughs> and stay off Reddit if you don't want your feelings to be hurt. And I hope you have an awesome, awesome rest of your week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.